Good to see you this morning. Welcome again. I'm Mark Miller, one of the pastors here at the GraceWorks. If you're new or newer, uh, we continue to get the new families coming in, checking us out, and kind of cycling through, and we're excited about that. Uh, we've just started last week a sermon series in the book of First Peter. It was a huge chunk uh, to kind of get us going, and and I look around the room, and, and uh, I appreciate you coming back after last week. This week should be a little bit shorter, uh, and yet I know that uh, because of a couple conversations I had this last week with a few of you, um, that God has been doing things in and, and through even that first longer sermon, but... Uh, Anyway, so glad that you're here. First Peter, uh, we kind of looked at the book and we decided that the theme that we see there is, is saints through suffering. Now, if you remember right before our book study in, in Proverbs, which was about a 10 week book study, before that we had gone through Revelation and then before that it was Daniel. So we had a couple of those prophetic books and talked a lot about end times and suffering and, and, and then we went into the, the, the short series in Proverbs and had a lot of fun. And uh, the wrap-up from Proverbs was probably one of my favorite wrap-ups ever. And so if you were here a few weeks ago and you saw that, praise God for what he's doing in and through your lives, in your family, and in your communities because of God's word. Uh, not because Pastor Dave and I are some eloquent speakers, but because God, God's word penetrates your heart. And so that's why that's so exciting. Well, then we jumped into First Peter. We had prayed about this. We had thought about it. We got some themes in there that we really love and we're looking forward to preaching. But as we looked at the book in its entirety, we realized this is a little more of the same. In other words, we have been called by God to be his children. We've been drawn unto him and we are called saints. Okay, so that's who we are. And yet, the reality is our lives are filled with suffering. Filled with suffering right now, whether it's illnesses or, or uh, potentially it's, it's stress in your family, your spouse. Maybe it's financial, um, you know, health, all those kind of things like that. But also then, ultimately suffering and the potential of that for the Lord, for the gospel. And are you going to be ready for that as a believer? Do you understand that being called a child of God means there are going to be people in this world that are not going to like you for that reason alone. And that suffering will and pro or will come through that. I was going to say can, but it will. It will come through that. It will look different for each one of us. So it's what we know, it's a reality about what's coming, um, and, and it's, if we understand that, we'll be better prepared. And so what we want to do is, as a church body, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to change our perspective, get a proper perspective that's going to fuel a holy life. Okay, If our perspective is right, if we know who we are, a lot of what we talked about last week Understanding that we are saints, that we are children of God, sons and daughters of God. And because of those truths, our eternity is secure because of our salvation, because of Jesus' blood. All those things are true. All those things are unchanging. That should allow us to move through suffering 
in a different way than the rest of the world would, right? And, and, and so it also, though, having that proper perspective that we talked about last week, knowing who we are, should also fuel us into a holy life. So that's kind of our big idea, our thought that we're looking at this week. And as we were talking, Pastor Brian, who's preaching down there with Kevin, they were talking about running a marathon. And since the only running I know is from the couch to the refrigerator on a on a commercial, uh, I had to go a little bit outside myself, but not outside my family. These pictures up here are of my son. Yeah, he's on the number one there. Uh, and, and then that's him running and him jumping. Whoops, sorry, Van. Um, but track and field is coming up. And so, again, I started thinking about, okay, you're talking about marathon and the preparation that goes into that. What have I heard or learned from Cole in regards to track and field that I could apply and kind of give you guys an idea of, of what's going on? And so track season's just around the corner. And when I talk to Cole about what's important for preparation for the season, not just for one meet, but for the season, the races, these are the sorts of things that he talks about when, when Gwen and I talk to him, that it's a lot of mental preparation, right? There's a lot of mental preparation. You have to be ready to go. You got to be ready for those races and those opportunities because they're short. They're quick. He runs the 100, the 200. I mean, these are short races. There's not a lot of time to make up if you have a bad start, right? So there's a mental game. And and at the beginning of the season, though, as he's getting his proper perspective, right, to go through this, he knows that there's a lot of physical prep too, now, between football and track and field, maybe there's a couple pounds that sneak onto him. I don't see any, but maybe there are. Let's say there are. So getting back into shape. Maybe he's not running as much as he did during football and will during track and field, right? So he, he's got to get in shape. He's got to work out. He's going to work on his starts and on his middles and on his finishes. And when you're talking about a 12 and a half, 13 second race, those things smush together pretty quick, right? right? But he wants to get better at that. He wants to eat a little bit better, right? A little bit cleaner. He wants to get more sleep or get the right sleep. And then once the season gets here, here in a couple of weeks, which we're all so excited about, then he, he'll, he'll start going, okay, now, now that I've gotten myself ready, how do I apply that to each one of these races, right? And so now it's more of the mental. Am I ready for every start, Am I allowing distractions, whether it's fans or friends, to distract me before my race? Or do I lock in and get ready, right? And then when I start running, how can I run faster, right? How do I get faster? How do I accelerate? And then, of course, finishing strong. Even if you feel like you're ahead, how do I push myself through the finish line? He has a preparation for the goal. He, he knows what result he wants, and he's going for it. And proper perspective before the season starts and through the season starts is going to fuel all of the work, the diet, the training, everything that's going to go into these next couple of months, right? And today we're going to see that a proper perspective fuels our holy life. So let's jump into First Peter, uh, and we're picking up in chapter 1, verse 13. It says, therefore. 
So if you've been with us for any amount of time, when you see a therefore, you ask the question, what is it there for? And we'll get back to that in just a second. But we see Peter writing here. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's a quick call back to the first 12 verses, what we talked about last week, right? Our salvation in the future, heaven is sure. We don't have to worry about that. Right? And we talked about that last week. Our eternity in heaven is not based on our performance. It's based on Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed on the cross, and the power over the tomb and death on that third day when he was resurrected. Amen? Okay. So that's done. It's sure. Salvation is set. And so we see that in the future. But it's also a present tense. You remember Peter talking about that last week. We need to live in the reality of eternity with Christ, right? We need to live in the reality of what heaven is. It helps us, uh, it helps dictate the way we make decisions, what we do, how we respond to people. So we see that in the present, living in this reality is really important. And then, of course, it's a past reality. And I love how Peter wrote about that. God is the one who did the work. Jesus Christ, his son, was sent to this earth to do what no one else could do. Create a way for us to right our relationship with a holy God. We are sinful man. We are rebellious. We, we are unable of making great decisions on our own, at least for any amount of time. And so we are people who are marred and stained by sin. And yet Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed on the cross, if we receive that free gift of salvation, when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see Mark Miller and all of my sin and all my rebellion, and all the things that I do wrong, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees his son, the gift that was freely given to me. That's incredible. And that past reality, again, needs to propel us into the lives that we're living and a view of our future. So we have past, we have present, and we have future. That is what he's saying when he says, therefore, in light of these truths that we just talked about. And then Peter gives kind of this little three imperative statement, right? And really there's only one major imperative with two strategies, but we'll get to that in just a second. The main command here is set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the how-to here is we're going to see how to prepare our minds for action and also how to be sober-minded as we are preparing our minds for action so that we can set our hope fully on the grace that is to come. Right? So we, we wanna, we wanna understand that those are the things we're gonna be looking at as we prepare to go through the rest of this book. And, and if we understand these and we apply these to our lives, it'll make the next few chapters, what he has left to write, easier and more applicable to us. We need to be ready to prepare our minds and be sober minded so that we can fully set our hope, confident expectation, right? 
Not I hope that there's a good present under the tree at Christmas time, but it's a confident expectation. I want to set that fully on the grace. And again, grace is so important for us. So that's the main command there is setting the hope fully on the future grace. Now there's uh, uh, Peter knows that the temptation we will face, you and I both, will be to put our hope on a multitude of other things, right? Human beings like to put their faith or their hope or their confidence in earthly things. And those will continue to fail you. No matter how good they seem to be right now, the ultimate destination of all of these things is failure, is uh, ultimately they'll burn up, whatever it might be. So we were thinking about the flawed things this week, and as we sat around the table, we started talking about things like our finances, right? It doesn't mean you shouldn't plan for your future. You should, but you don't put all your hope or your confidence in your bank account, right? Uh, our family, that's a tough one, especially if you got a good family, right? You're thinking, how can my family ever fail me? These are great people. But if your confidence is only in your family and they do fail you, does that rock and shake the reality of the grace that is coming based on what Jesus Christ did, not on anything else, right? And so we continue to go through this. We have, uh, you know, all these different things that we put our hope in, our status, our job, the next promotion, the respect that we get, the car that we drive. I mean, really, sometimes we'll laugh at those things. Ha, ha, ha. And yet how important is, is each one of those things to a lot of people? right? I need this going well. If I can, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And yet Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. The hope that comes through him, confident expectation, the promise of heaven and salvation provided by a loving God. And that's what he wants us to know here as members of God's family, which remember that started last week, right? We're members of God's family, right? Those things, our hope isn't in anything on this earth, but solely on God the Father. And a proper perspective fuels a holy life. So right here we see Peter, you know, coming along and saying, that's exactly it. We got to know who we are. We got to believe who we are. And then we move forward in that truth and it will fuel us into a holy life. We need to set our hope on the fulfillment of grace in our lives. God will eradicate sin in our lives when we get to heaven once and for all. And the reality of that, the truth of that is something that needs to propel us through this life. So when I trip and fall and you're there to pick me up and help me on, we're doing that with the hope of heaven, right? What's coming in the future. We've tasted grace, we're saved, right? We require grace every day. Some of us more than others, and I'm pointing at myself. Some of us mess up a lot, and we need that grace from God and that godly grace through our wives or our husbands and our children because we screw up, right? And so we need grace every day right now, but ultimately, when we get to heaven, that grace will be fulfilled. There's a consummation of grace that comes in eternity. You and I need to long for that. We need to think about it. We need to dream about it, 
right? What is heaven going to be like? What's the reality of that? And how can that apply to my life here on this earth, right? We need to talk about it. You need to talk about this with, with your friends, with your family. Keep it on the forefront of your mind. If, if I don't, it may be an indication, right, that I'm not truly focused on the right thing. So we might know the right thing, we might know the right way, but we're not always focused on it. And I think that we need to be a people better focused on it. Peter gives us two strategies to accomplish this, right? If we want to accomplish this main command, okay, how does Peter say that we do this? Well, first, we need to prepare my mind for action, so a lot of times when we see these kind of things, these uh, uh, commands, we want to tear it apart, look at it, and then come to you guys and say, hey, humbly, this is what we found, this is how we do it. And literally translated, this says we are to gird up our loins of our minds. So Peter is using a, a word example that would have been very familiar and common back then. The idea of girding up your loins uh, and, and, and the loins of your mind. In other words, Preparing them for action. Now, maybe you were like me. You've seen uh, maybe old Roman or even olden times the idea of, of like girding up their robes, but you didn't really know much about that. So we pulled up a little slide here. If any of you had questions like we did this week, how to actually gird up your loins, right? To get yourself ready for action. If you're going to run a race against your neighbor or friend in the olden days, and you're wearing a robe, you got to gird up your loins, right? You got to pull it up tight, tuck it into your belt. If you're going into battle, you don't want to be tripping over this robe. You don't want it too long, stepping on it. You want to gird up your loins, right? You want to get it tucked up around you and into your belt, okay? Peter's saying it's the same thing for our minds. Get your mind ready, Today, gird up those loins, gird up your mind, have it ready for action. That is what he's literally calling us to do. Now, you and I might think, okay, well, we don't really gird up our loins. We're not wearing robes. Even, um, you know, uh, again, women, if they're working, a lot of times they'll wear jeans or they'll wear sweats because they know the dress maybe isn't ideal, right? So we could translate this into our own time. Roll up your sleeves, Let's get ready, right? So roll up the sleeves of your mind. Be ready to go at it. This is action. And Peter knows that. And he's saying, you got to be ready for it so that you can do it. So first, we're preparing up our minds for action, right? And it's the mind that needs to be prepared. Not so much physical. Not like Cole running the race, putting on his his, uh, cleats or his spikes, I mean, and his shorts and his tank top. Right, but it's the mind part. I need to know, envision what it looks like getting down into my stance and and being up in the ready position and and the anticipation of the gun. That's a mental thing, and Peter knows that it's a mental game that we have to play to keep our minds and ultimately our hearts, our focus set on things above. I won't be able to set my hope on the grace that is to coming without disciplined thinking. Are you ready to put in the work 
so that you can live your life as a, a follower of Jesus who has disciplined their mind to think about the hope that is coming in Jesus Christ. Because if you are, your life is going to look different than those around you. And that's pretty exciting. And I have to train my mind. Like Cole's going to train over these next few weeks to get ready for that race. I got to train my mind. And that's where Peter goes next to the mental side of running. Secondly, he says, I must be sober minded. Now, the, the, when you first read that, my mind jumped up immediately to alcohol, like the idea of not being drunk. Um, but it's not just merely talking about drunkenness, right? It's not saying, hey, if you can stay sober, if you don't drink too much, you know, you'll be ready to go. No, it's something more than that. Now, drunkenness and the idea of keeping your mind sober is, is important. It is in scripture. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the spirit. In other words, if you want your brain to go in the right direction, keep it clear, but again, this isn't saying just that. Peter's not saying that. And it's, it's important to understand that because sometimes we just default to what we just talked about. The idea of, well, I don't drink, so I'm good. Or I don't drink a lot, so I'm good. But Peter's saying, no, we want to have a clear mind. We don't want to think about anything else so that we are ready and prepared to move forward. Right? And, and, and it keeps us also the, the idea, the action that's involved here, it, it, it also warns us really against like lazy thinking. Like there's nothing I like more than to get home in the evening and just drop down on the couch and just turn on some Netflix and just sit there, right? It's just lazy. I don't have to think about anything. Dinner makes itself, I, I guess, and the laundry, the machine does all the work. I, I mean, that's what I, I, I'm believing, right? So I can just drop into my couch and watch some TV, that lazy thinking, right? That's not what Paul, Paul's saying, no, we need to, we need to move forward intentionally, right? And this is a brand new way of thinking. Paul, Paul, or, uh, Peter, is talking about the same thing that Paul does in Romans 12. He calls it the renewing of our minds. So this isn't just Peter's idea. This is, this is how to get a healthy mindset on being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the same idea here. You and I were made new through the gospel of grace. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are a recreation. The old becomes new. Right. And, and, and that's a reality. It's not any sort of enhanced view of what the world is telling us or worldly thinking. This is completely different. That's why when you talk about things above, you talk about spiritual things, a lot of times they are very different than the world's thoughts. Right? It's, it's completely different. It's foolishness, uh, foolishness to those who don't believe. Right? That's in the Bible. And it says that it, for those that aren't walking uh, the faith walk Jesus, with Jesus Christ, it's foolishness. And yet we need to understand that it's the reality of what is to come. And that's why Peter spent so much time in his opening on the beauty of salvation. That's why we talked about that last week. The past, the present, and the future, all of salvation preparing us now for this. Because a proper perspective fuels a holy life. And Peter wants you and I to live a holy life. 
So we have to change our mind. Let's move on to verse 14. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Right? And so we see here, um, his main idea is setting their hope on the coming grace. Right? What is to come? And how do we do that? By living obedient lives. Right? We don't want to be controlled by our desires to do things. We want to have control over our actions. We want to be a people who walk clear-minded, sober-minded, making good decisions, not based on our impulses, but uh, our conduct should reflect the beliefs that we have, right? Peter started with the mind, and now he's saying, here's what it looks like, the conduct, right? Our motivation for doing this is found in the first statement of the verses that I just read. As obedient children... Okay, we think back to last week. Peter makes a, a, a case that we are children of God. We have been brought into the family. It's our heavenly father. We are saints. We are set apart and holy because of God the father. Right? It's very familial. And that continues here. And so we have a couple of motivations. The first one being, I, I'm a, 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 an already obedient child in heaven's eyes. Okay, we've, we've talked about that before because if I were to die today and stand before the throne of God, I truly believe that God would see me covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. The obedience that comes in that is a motivation for me to live here on the earth, but not a requirement for me to get into heaven. It's based solely on salvation that comes through the cross, Jesus Christ's sacrifice, imputed to me. Okay. So all that taking place in heaven's eyes, I am an obedient child, right? And Peter starts with that. He says, as obedient children, he doesn't say if you are an obedient child, right? He's writing to you. He's writing to me. And he says, as obedient children, you already are because it's a fact. Again, like when we looked at salvation last week, Salvation, present day, I asked Jesus into my life. I accepted the blood uh, uh, that was sacrificed on the cross for the cleansing of my sin, right? And I, I'm moving forward to an eternity with him. The eternity is the hope, the confident expectation that I have in my salvation. The past was that God ordained it and started it all, all the way back at creation, right? All those things are true. And so there's a fact that in heaven today, my standing is secured by Jesus Christ, not by me. That's encouraging, right? And, and so I know that. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful truth about salvation. God sees me perfect today because I trusted in Jesus and his perfection. That's incredible, right? Now... I'm still looking for the day that that will be fact in practice. 
Because if you know me, if you've known me for more than five minutes, you know I'm not perfect here on this earth. Talk to my wife, talk to my kids, they can let you know, right? None of us are, but it's still a desire. It's a goal. The Apostle Paul says, well, you know, I mean, my sins are covered and, 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 and it doesn't really matter what I do, so let me just continue on in sin uh, because that was the thought process of the day. And instead, Paul says, when I say that, the response to that is, no, may it never be. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to sin less than I did yesterday or the day before or last year. But I know that the perfection that comes in Christ won't be until eternity. That doesn't mean we stop trying now, right? We move forward. So the bottom line, you are already holy in heaven's eyes. That's what Peter's saying there. As obedient children. Then Peter's going to say, start acting like it. Okay? And that's what Paul was saying. Should I continue on in sin? No. May it never be. Peter's saying the same thing here. As a motivation number two, as a child of God, right, you want to be like your heavenly father. Right? When we think about our children, a lot of times they want to be like their dad. Right? They want, they want to mimic and mirror what their dad does and says. We need to do the same. What is our heavenly father calling us to? And we need to move towards that. We need to move towards it in such a way that it affects our lives and we become different people. We are called to model our lives after Jesus Christ. Our perfect example, the Savior, God's Son. God is holy. We need to be holy. Again, these are what we're moving towards, even though we understand completion won't come until heaven. Peter emphasized, emphasized here, he said, in all your conduct. This isn't just while people uh, are watching at work or, you know, outside of your home. No, no, no. I'm not to live one way with my church friends in a different way in my neighborhood. I'm not to live one way with my church friends in a different way uh, on the freeway. Right? I'm not to live one way with my church friends and another way at the workplace. Right? It needs to be the same thing. We need to uh, avoid that temptation of having two lives or that somehow it's okay. We need to, if we're doing something outside the church walls that we wouldn't want to say or do in front of our friends here, we need to call that into question. Why am I willing to do this outside of the church wall where I'm called to be an example to those people? I'm the living gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ being lived out in front of them. I need to be careful what I do. We are called to be holy like God is holy. And a proper perspective, understanding that, fuels a holy life. Going into the last couple of verses that we're looking at today, main idea here is is conducting yourself with fear. And again, it's the proper fear. It's not like an I'm afraid, but it's understanding who God is. Let's look at starting in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 17 And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, right? The NIV simply translates it if, or the if as since. And I like that a little bit better. Okay? I I, I think the word since there is a little bit better. And since, right? You call on him as father. In other words, we know you're doing that. And because of that, this needs to happen, right? There, it's accepted. It erases any doubt. It's not an if, it's, it's a sense. I like that a little bit better. Since is probably the better reading here. And Peter purposefully wrote that sentence, right? As to be hypothetical, right? It's to make, to make us understand that we call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Because of that, we need to conduct ourselves with fear, right? And so you and I living in this world need to realize that God the Father has called us to be like him, to be holy. We need to put our hope, our confidence in our Savior, that we here on this earth can move forward and become more like Jesus Christ. Even though the reality, the completion won't come until heaven. This isn't a question of salvation. Our salvation is secure, but we need to conduct ourselves in a way that is moving us towards holiness. It might seem a little confusing at first. We don't normally think of fear as a healthy thing. We have talked about this before, though. But with the understanding that our fear of God is different than our fear uh, of of, um, things out of our control. Because God is in control. And it's, it's a holy fear. In, in 1 John 4.18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And we know that God is love. Peter seems pretty sure that we are to conduct ourselves with fear, right? So how does that play out? Well, the fear that John was speaking of in his, it's, it's that idea of eternal punishment or condemnation. He's saying, you don't need to worry about that once you place your faith in Jesus Christ. The fear that Peter is referring to here is what we call the fear of the Lord. And if you were here during our uh, study on the book of Proverbs just a couple months ago, we started out talking about the fear of, Lord being, of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. It's a healthy respect for And you know that God is love and motivated out of love. So understanding fear in the context of family, the family of God, points us towards a healthy fear and respect. A child, you and I, we're children of God. We should know both the love and fear in a proper father-child relationship. 
in a perfect one that is motivated out of love only. And so if you were raised in a family where your father figure wasn't good, we want to acknowledge that. And we, we this might be a hard idea or a concept to understand, but know that God the Father loves you and that our respect for him comes out of a healthy fear because we know that God is love and he's called us to do great things. We are called to look like Jesus Christ and to move forward in those truths. When I think about the father, heavenly father relationship, I want to remember as his child that I can trust in those in two things. That my father loves me completely. As I am because of Jesus Christ. The other thing is my father will discipline me if I screw up and he'll move me towards holiness. Those are realities. Those are truths. And we need to understand that. But it's a healthy fear. It's an understanding that God's motivation is always love. Those two things aren't at war. Like in a marriage, it needs to be 100% man and the 100% of the wife, the man, the husband and wife, 100%, not 50-50. It's the same thing with God in relation to this. It's 100% true that God is fully love, but he's also called us to things. And if we don't do that, discipline may occur. When I grew up, I knew that my dad would hold me accountable, okay? A lot of times he's sitting in the back row. Today he's at home, so he'll have to listen to this later on Podbeam. But my dad held me to a certain standard of conduct. And I know it's going to be hard for you guys to believe, but Mark Meller fell short of that standard quite often. And my dad would punish me, but I was never afraid of my dad, Right? Because I knew he wouldn't hurt me, but he wanted me to grow and become the young man that he desired for me to be, that he and my mom desired for me to be. Right? And so there was a little bit of fear when I was doing something wrong that my dad might find out. Right? But I knew he loved me and that never wavered. Right? And I grew up knowing that my dad loved me and he held me to a standard, whereas I would argue If my dad ignored that behavior and allowed me to continue on, in hindsight, I would question my father's love for me. Does that make sense to you? Because it made sense to me this week as I was thinking about this. My dad held me to a standard, required me to do certain things because he loved me. He wouldn't allow me to do certain things because he loved me. And if he allowed me to do whatever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to, no matter what the consequence was, that would actually prove that he didn't love me. He didn't care about me. Do you see what we're getting out he- at here? Right? We know that there are some bad fathers. And for that, I hurt with you. But for those who did have a loving father that held them accountable to right and wrong, that is a picture, even though it's imperfect, of our heavenly father. And that's what we should run towards. And if you didn't have a good uh, son-father or daughter-father relationship, run towards this father because he has proven over and over again that he is the perfect father. He will ask you and require you to do things, but he will love you the entire time. 
I think it's really important to know this because this goes hand in hand with last week. You are a son and daughter, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, of God. And yet we are called to live like his children, right? He's a perfect father. He won't fail you. A proper perspective, keeping our mind right, will fuel a holy life. This is what Oswald Chambers says. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. When I read that, I was like, that's it. This makes sense. Because if you have a proper fear of God and understanding of God and trust in God's love, you don't need to fear anything else. The world can throw whatever it wants to at me, right? Whether in the form of persecution until death or just in my finances, in my health, in my family, whatever it might be, because I have a proper understanding of God the Father and that he's in control. I think that's a great quote there. Finishing up here, right? The gospel and and how do we get into a right relationship with God the Father? In verses 18 through 21, Peter reminds us of how much we have through the blood of Jesus. I talk about the cross, the blood that was shed, the power over death and, 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 and sin and hell and the grave, that resurrection on the third day, as often as I can, because that's what our salvation is based on. If you leave here thinking that it's based somehow on how good of a person you are, I have failed. You need to understand that it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be in a family relationship with the God who created the universe and he created you and me. The the family we've been called into has a perfect father. And that's what makes this family so amazing. We were ransomed, like that song that the worship team was singing. We were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. We were purchased. We were redeemed. Right? All of those things are God's actions. He is taking care of us. He is allowing for us. He is lavishing grace upon us, giving us mercy Right? We're not getting the things that we deserve, and we're getting things we don't deserve. That is a perfect father. Jesus was a sacrificial lamb, Peter tells us, foreknown before the foundation of the world. God is in total control. We see it back in Genesis. When Moses penned Genesis by the power of the Holy Spirit, he talked about about Jesus Christ coming, even though he didn't have a name to put to it, and that that was done before the foundation of the world, right? Peter here is reminding us of that truth. God knew that you and I would be sinners, that we would walk in what Peter calls futile ways. No matter how much we try, we can't live a perfect life, thus we can't live with a perfect, holy God, We need Jesus Christ. We need what he accomplished on the cross that we never could. And he knew that his son, Jesus, right, raise him from the dead and give him glory, right? He knew, right, that this was going to take place. We have that hope in God. 
so that your faith and hope are in God, in nothing else, none of the things we talked about earlier, but in God alone. It's a, it's a great little bookend here to this time in the word. Peter started this section with the imperative that we must set our hope, right? Our minds and our hope on God. And he ends with our faith and hope in Christ. A proper perspective fuels a holy life. And as the worship team comes back up, I want to remind you that our hope that we have is a confident expectation. You and I need to lock that in. Like Cole needs to focus up on a race and not allow any of the distractions. His mom and dad yelling from the stands. His buddies cheering him on. He needs to lock in and focus. We need to do the same. And our hope is set on God, God the Father, his plan of salvation. Salvation that's provided by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is our perspective, our proper perspective that then fuels, right? It then fuels us into a holy life. And that's the second part. Holiness, we've been called to live that out. You and I, we change our minds so that we live in a different way. We are called to holiness. Daily walk in this way. God has called you and I to reflect his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we move forward in that hope, I pray that we will move forward to holiness. Hope and holiness. Because a proper perspective fuels a holy life.